Welcome to the podcast, Don't Forget Me, about the life and times of Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers. Chapter 9. Let's talk about the easy, yeah. uncomplicated stuff, like race relations. Right. Um, I want to hear about the other guys in the band and what it felt like. What it felt like when the Apollo didn't want you, and when American Bandstand didn't want them. Because right. uh, I think that right, generations back and all the way through, the sense of outsiders surviving mm -hmm. is a, is something that feels like a uh, tenaciously wanting to be told. Right. You know, well, that's as, as I said in one of my interviews, about, uh, the, uh, the, uh, a timely reason for writing the book was the fact of, of the racial prejudice and anti-Semitism mm -hmm. that was prevalent in the 50s. Um, and the younger generation didn't, doesn't really remember or know how prevalent it was. And it's especially more, it's more important for the African-American community. As I always said, we, only, we know that 300 years ago they were slaves. But you know, since up to 19, let's go to 1950 and see how far they came from from 300 years ago to 1950, and let's see how far they've came. The, the African American community doesn't have a baseline um, of of how it was before Martin Luther King and the and the movement started. What it was like being black and and growing up in the United States, and the treatment of African Americans mm -hmm. in the 50s. And, and the Jews for racial prejudice. So now this is, you can look at this as a starting point. Let's see how far forward we've come in a good way from 1950 to 2017. But it's a cautionary tale as to what we might be going back to based on what's happening today in this society in the United States. So Steve, you know, he takes the guys out and they start looking for records and his brother goes with them and and they're just, they're taking their demos out. They're trying to see if there's some way that they can get on a label. And they, they have this story that they both tell about stopping into Lori Records and running into Dion and the Belmont, uh, Dion of Dion and the Belmont. There's this kid who is sitting in the reception room playing a guitar. And they ask, you know, is there anyone around who can listen to our demos? And he's like, no, nah, they're not looking for talent right now. And they find out later that that was Dion. They didn't find anybody humping through and like dropping demos off. So they end up going into this local talent competition over in Harlem. It, the Sunnyside Ballroom was having a duop competition and they decided to give it a try. And there were maybe 50 or 55 groups and solo artists performing that night. So they went. Well, the, the, the competition was, was fierce at this at the Sony site. And they didn't win that night. But as they were leaving, they were approached by Ed Portnoy. Now, Ed Portnoy, he was the owner of the record shop, which was the biggest record store in Harlem. And he and two other partners had formed this label called Ivy Records. So Steve had gotten the card from him, and that's how they kick off having a, a, a record label, basically. They, they get a chance to go down and audition for him. So George and Ed Portnoy set up Ivy Records with Stan Feldman in September of 1957. But you want to trace a great music mystery? Try to figure out exactly what was going on with Ivy Records, because I have been trying for a while now, and all I can tell you is 
it was definitely a hit and run operation of some kind financially, but you cannot track it down. And I think that partly contributed to both this sudden success of the Cavaliers, but the fact that they didn't achieve the the stardom that they sort of early on seemed destined to achieve. Ivy Records was in a building several blocks north of the Brill Building, around the corner from the Ed Sullivan Theater on Broadway. They entered an office, crowded with other groups and solo artists waiting to audition. Steve remembers being a little nervous, seeing all the other talent in that crowded room, and realizing there might be a chance that they just weren't good enough. The room was hot and stuffy and smelled like a boy's locker room. Most of the kids there had come straight from the school to audition. They waited for what seemed like hours for their chance to go into the next room where they could hear the other groups performing. Someone was playing the piano and would occasionally play along with the groups that were auditioning. The pianist turned out to be George Weiss, who became a prolific songwriter and composer. He wrote many Broadway shows and his most memorable song, The Lion, sleeps tonight. They were called into a large room, which gave the feeling of having been thrown together just 30 minutes ago. There were a few desks piled with demo records, sheet music, and what looked like legal documents. In the far corner was an upright piano, and there, on a piano stool, was George Weiss, who was a thin man about five feet seven in height. He looked at the Cavaliers like they were some punks off the street. And truth be told, they were just punks off the street. But boy, could they sing. There were two other men in the room. Ed Portnoy and Stan Feldman. They were the owners of Ivy Records. Okay, what do you got for us? Feldman said in a gravelly voice and with breath that smelled like cigarettes. As hot as the reception room was, the cold hit them when they had walked into the large room. There were air conditioners running. It felt like ice. Um, we've got a few demo records and some songs that we haven't recorded yet, Steve said to them and gave the demos to Feldman. They all huddled around the phonograph to listen. Even today, most record company arrangers will listen to 16 bars of music before blurting out, what else? In about 15 seconds, Steve heard the dreaded, what else? Hurriedly, he pulled up lyric sheets for four songs that they had started to practice. Sunday in May, Play by the Rules of Love, Dance My Baby, and Why, Why, Why. You could cut the tension in the room with a knife when they started singing. The three men started talking amongst themselves and started listening, really listening. The only sound you heard from that room for the next 30 minutes was the sound of the Cavaliers doing their thing. Even the usual noise out in the waiting room was gone. It was like the whole music was listening. When they were finished, Portnoy handed an envelope to them with papers to fill out and to have their parents sign. No one even looked at them. Sid said, okay, you're now part of Ivy Records. This is a four record contract. Fill the papers out and bring them back for your first rehearsal next week. This was in April of 1958. They rehearsed three times a week for the next month after school and sometimes on Saturday. There was always about three or four other groups with them, all waiting their turn to rehearse and pick out material for the upcoming recording sessions. There were times that Steve was asked to come down by himself to go over material and fine-tune it. Little did he know that fine-tuning was another phrase for getting a credit on the lyrics and music that he was writing in order to procure 50% of the material. After about a month of practice, they were ready for the recording studio session. They met at Allegro Studios over in the Brill Building. They were quite nervous. They practiced for a few minutes before being ushered into the studio where everyone was in the room. Each instrument, the lead singer in the group, all had their own mics. This is very different today. The performer goes into the studio and sings along with music tracks recorded separately. The band in the room that day consisted of members of the Allen Freed Orchestra, right from the Brooklyn Paramount shows. Drums, three guitars, piano, and sax. The sax player was Sam the Man Taylor, probably the best tenor sax player that Steve had ever heard. If there was a sax solo, 
On a hit recording in the 50s, it was probably Sam the Man. The Cavaliers were in an enclosure on one side of the room, with Steve on an enclosure on the other. The band tuned up. Everyone took their last sips of tea or Thunderbird or whatever they had. The conductor raised his baton, and they were off and running. The first take sounded pretty good for the playback. The band even clapped. A clap by the band was done by tapping on their music stands. A sign of approval for a good performance. Okay, guys, let's do it one more time. So the Cavaliers did it again. Playback again. Nope, the first one was great. With dance, dance, dance out of the way, next they did play by the rules of love. Once again, two takes. The first one was great. They hung around for a little while, congratulating each other. They noticed that the band stayed in place. Sid was asked what they were waiting for. He said the elegant were supposed to record their music, but they had never showed up. Their decision not to record with Ivy Records had a profound effect on the future of the Cavaliers. And they were off and running. A few weeks went by with no news from Ivy Records. Everyone was waiting on pins and needles, waiting to hear something, anything. It was really hard to keep grounded and concentrate on their school. They continued to practice for the next recording session. It was during the, their next practice session at Ivy. They were told that ABC Paramount had bought the master to Dance Dance Dance. There would be an initial release of the new label, APT, in a few months. And that Dance 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 by the Cavaliers would be the initial release on the new label, APT, in a few months. They purchased the master for $7,500. The record contract was transferred to ABC Paramount, but the Cavaliers never saw any of the money. A few days later, they got a call that the release date had been set and to come down and pick up promo copies of the record. After picking up the promo copies, Steve rushed to the community center and played the record for the kids that were there that afternoon. That Friday night, they sang at the Friday night dance at the community center to wild applause. When they played the recording of Play by the Rules of Love, Steve danced with a girl named Gail Kennedy, and little did he know at the time, that would be the last dance he ever had with her. Steve began watching trade publications, including Cashbox and Billboard magazine. In Cashbox, the Cavaliers were listed as pick of the week. The review was great. It said the lead singer was terrific, and they liked the flip side too, play by the rules. Billboard wasn't that impressed and gave the Cavaliers lukewarm reviews. In both magazines, there was a full-page ad announcing initial releases of the APT label with the Cavaliers on top. and little print on the bottom, there was a small announcement. Also just released, Little Star by The Elegance. The Elegance were the band who had walked out on Ivy Records and never showed up at the recording studio. Steve finally met their lead singer, Vito Picone, 35 years later, and he told them that their manager didn't like the deal that Ivy gave them, and they went to Hole Records to record Little Star. Their label then sold that master to ABC Paramount. So APT Records was a sub-label of ABC Paramount. It popped up in 1958, and they only released sing singles. And then in 1966, they got shelved. Now, ABC briefly reactivated APT in 1969 and 1972, and they used the name on later on 8-tracks and, and cassette tapes. But the, the name comes from the fact that it's, you know, American Broadcast Company and Paramount Theaters, but they never really grew that label. It was really just a, an early version of what they were attempting to do in music, and they didn't put a whole lot of effort into it. When we went, when we, actually, when uh, Steve left the group and we started performing down in Harlem, mm -hmm. we, we performed at... Uh, why, why did Steve leave the group? Why did he leave? We've been discussing so, uh, that we, for the past we're not 15 sure. <laughs> years. We can't figure it out. I think it was, was such a force in the beginning, so what happened? I think it was just uh, artistic and creative I think it was this musical background that he couldn't get us to do 
what he wanted us to do. I think we were discussing this before we came in, right. and he wanted us to hit the notes right, and we weren't doing it. No, Something of that nature. No, what you said inside, <laughs> Alan, you said, I wanted us to be a black group, <laughs> and we were sounding too much like a white group, because we were one of the first mixed groups that ever appeared on national TV. Mm-hmm. We had uh, three white guys and two black guys. Yeah. Right. And I was after the purest sound of the... Um, the, the, the original. The, the harp tones, the, the cleft tones. tones the cleft tones, the, the teenagers right. and all that. And by the way, one of the greatest honors ever paid to us, when we were on the amateur hour, during rehearsal, during eight hours of rehearsals, the teenagers came down to say hello to us at the, at the uh, studio, yeah. which is now the Ed Sullivan Theater and the David Letterman Show. Right. That was the, right. uh, the studio we were at. And it was the late Sherman. And um, who was it? Joe and Herman. There were at least three of yeah. the original mm-hmm. teenagers came down to say hi to us. That's great. So I think probably the bottom line was, yeah, I wanted that real original black sound. Right. And uh, and the satellites weren't achieving it. By the way, shall I tell the people it's not television? I'm the white guy. <laughs> No, we, we were <laughs> The second time we were on the amateur hour. I had a feeling from what you were saying, you. You are. <laughs> the second time we were on, when we were the winners, right. we did Come Go With Me, the right. Del Vikings Del song. Okay. And Steve and I had our first uh, artistic... Uh, confrontation. Confrontation. Yeah. <laughs> because he was a, he was a sax player. He was went to music and art high school, and he played saxophone very well. And in the break in uh, "Come Go With Me," there is a sax break, and I said, "Steve, let's have you do that." And he said, "No, no, 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 no. We don't want to do it." No, I didn't want to do that because I wanted to be the real five-man black group. Right. Okay. Shoot me. <laughs> All right. We did. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's why I'm not on the next record you're going to play. Okay, but I want to ask you this. Uh, did you uh, perform as the satellites after Ted Mac's uh, amateur? Did you go out and do sock hops and local shows? We did local shows. Sure, mm-hmm. we did some local shows uh, in the Bronx, and then uh, after after we now uh, Steve left before you became the Cavaliers. Yeah, he left simultaneously. Yeah, just about, about the same, same time. They had to change the name after no, they got when, rid of me. Where did you go, Steve? I mean, did you go off to another group, or did you just continue with your sax? I continued with my sax. I was doing backup work for a lot of a lot of the uh, not on record, but at a lot of the live uh, uh, appearances. Uh-huh. I was working at, at the Ys and and the um, community centers um, as backup uh, and as tenor man. Right. I was the, the poor man's uh, Jimmy Wright, so to speak. Now, let me ask you this. We had Jimmy Wright before he passed away here in the Duwam Shop. Great guy. I mean, in fact, oh, he was the best. Didn't get a chance to have him play his uh, sax. He said he would have brought it if I had you know, asked him the next time I was going to have him on, unfortunately. He had I wish you would have told me. I would have brought my time. But uh, I would have loved to have uh, him uh, play the sax for us. He, he did some great work on those uh, roulette uh, G records. As a matter of fact, the um, saxophone player on Dance, Dance, Dance was Sam the Man Taylor. Was it? And that was part of the Allen Freed Orchestra. Sure. And the man's big Al Sears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. We did that in two takes mm-hmm. in the studio. As a matter of fact, they took the first take because the second one didn't come out as good as the first take. Mm-hmm. We were in and out of the studio in about 20 minutes between Dance, Dance, Dance and Play by the Rules of Love. Really? Yeah. Wow, that quickly. All right, tell us now what happened. Uh, you tossed Steve out. <laughs> right. <laughs> Excuse me. Or, or he left on his own, whatever. And uh, how did the Cavaliers come into it? Well, we, we started, uh, we got Junie, who was our uh, new bass player, and he lived in Harlem. Right. And uh, we started appearing in some of the uh, ballrooms, what was it, Savoy? Savoy, and uh, I think we did 
couple of community centers. Right. With Hal Jackson. Right, with Hal yeah. Jackson. But there was a gentleman, Mr. Johnson introduced us to, uh, to Hal Jackson, I think it was, Correct. right? Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the last time I performed with a group uh, was the Apollo Theater and was the Hal Jackson Review. And that was in uh, 1960. Wow. That's going back. Now, uh, at that point in time, were you uh, still Steve Glazer? I was uh, still Steve Glazer. I had no intention of uh, leaving the group at that time. Now, you were lead, right? On I was yeah. lead singer. When we just started? Correct. Uh, I'm just curious. And I wrote that, too. Okay, i got to ask you this now. This is uh, a question that uh, Steve uh, brought up about wanting to have that, that black sound. Why would uh, you, Steve, as, as a white fella, be the lead of a group that wanted to achieve that, that sound? Because I think that... Um, I'm, just I'm just throwing that out to you. Well, I think I had the black sound. Okay. Um, a, lot of my, a lot of my music when I was uh, growing up... Uh, especially in the Bronx, and I, and I just followed a lot of the black groups. Um, just liked it. I, I, when I started singing, I was in the choral group in uh, McCoon's High School. Yeah, we both were. Uh, well, was, that, was that ever discussed back at that point in time, that one of the guys who uh, actually was a, a black gentleman should have been the lead because no. you want that sound? I, I don't think it, see, ever, uh, it ever came the up. The two black gentlemen were not tenors. Right. Okay. That's all. all right. He put the group together. <laughs> And he wrote the songs, and he was mainly the one who overseed all of us, you know. He had the ear for it and what have you and whatnot. Talking about Steve. Yeah, Steve. Yeah, yeah. So basically, he started out as the leader, and he, kept, he stayed the leader. We, didn't, we never had a discrepancy on that whatsoever. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, he, we, he was the, the leader. Overall sound you were yeah. Yeah. For, basically. Now, how did you write Dance, Dance, Dance? Dance, 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 uh, as a matter of fact, I was watching a dance show at the time. And uh, I saw Which them doing. One? I'm, I'm not sure if it was Bandstand or was Herb, Herb Sheldon. Sheldon. <laughs> we were talking about that before. That's right. Uh, Channel Five. A lot of people forget. Before Freed, it was Herb Sheldon. That's right. And I danced on that show <laughs> in 1956 with Joyce Gordon. I wonder if she's still out there. I remember the girl I took. <laughs> she might. She might be. Uh, Joyce, eat your heart out. Are you listening? <laughs> <laughs> but but Dance 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 is a combination of at the hop sung by Elvis Presley. If you notice that on uh, some of it, I do uh, uh -huh. oh, uh, Give me that again. Uh, what it's, it's, <laughs> if you took Elvis Presley singing and you put him with Danny and the Juniors singing at the hop, that's where I got the idea for or Dance, Dance, uh, what's Dance. Dance, Dance, Dance. Hmm. That's an inter interesting combination. Yeah. And, and it worked out. It, it did. How we did were, that song do for you, Jim? Well, we were number one in Boston. <laughs> uh, it sold uh, a couple hundred thousand records in Boston. We went up there a couple of times and performed. And, uh, we're it's on not the, shabby at all. No. Uh, it started playing here, and it started playing in the Midwest, but we were in competition at that time with a group called The Elegance. I mean, The Elegance, to this day, probably don't know that we ever were in competition with them, mm -hmm. but we started recording for Ivy Records. Yeah. Uh, Ivy Records at the time signed The Elegance also, and they were supposed to appear, uh, be with us at the same recording session. They backed out on the session, right. went to ABC Paramount directly. We went uh, to Ivy Records. They went up on the app label. Yeah, uh, you? Yes, right. of course, mm -hmm. Ivy Records sold the master to APT. I think I mentioned a fellow, too, that I uh, made use Bobby Hamilton. Yeah, he was on that label. That's right. I have as a matter of fact, yeah, I have a, a picture uh, that I'll show you later. And we were the pick hit of the week in uh, Cashbox Magazine, Billboard Magazine. Uh -huh. um, and on the bottom of this full-page ad, you saw, well, we were on the top, Dance, 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 initial release on APT Records. Right. On the bottom, in little, bold, little <laughs> letters, was also just released, Little Star by the Elegance. Yeah. Um, we needed to break into the national scene by, you usually got on the charts by breaking in three centers. Mm -hmm. And we broke Boston, we broke the Northeast, we broke the Midwest, I think, in Cleveland. And we were supposed to start to appear down south. 
And one of the rumors is that because we were a mixed group, we didn't get to appear down south, and they literally stopped pushing the record down there, and then Ele the Elegance Little Star took off, and uh, that was that. Yeah. Well, Johnny Meister has been up here many times. He's told us uh, the press were a mixed group, and mm -hmm. told some interesting stories about playing down there. Where are you, little star? the original idea looks like Ivy Records was pairing the Elegance, which is an all-white group from South Beach over in Staten Island with this song, Little Star. It looks like they were pairing them up to put them over with the Cavaliers because it would have made sense to have like two records like going up the chart with acts that you could put together on tour. So Cavaliers get dance, 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 and they have trouble coming out in a couple of the, the markets, particularly in the South. But Little Star doesn't because Little Star is a, it, it's a pretty classic song at this point. But it comes out, and those guys who are about the same age as the Cavaliers, they end up touring with you know Buddy Holly and Dion and the Belmonts and Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis. But they're probably the biggest example of a one-hit wonder. So it's not just that you know, the elegance took off because Little Star was the only million seller for that group 
Arthur Venosa and Vito Picone had written it. It spent 19 weeks in the Billboard Hot 100, and it became a gold record. But that was it. So the Cavaliers weren't the only ones who suffered from that split where Ivy Records decided to give them kind of a, a, a crappy deal and their management left. Once that happened, the Elegance also lost some steam, even though they had a brief flash in the pan there. That song is is held up as like one of the greatest one-hit wonder examples. Weirdly enough, the prejudice that the Cavaliers were facing uh, not getting on in the South didn't influence how this song came out. And next week, we're going to talk about one of the most heartbreaking aspects of all of this. Like one little thing could have changed everything for these guys. Thanks for joining us. This is Don't Forget Me, a podcast about Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers. Music and words are adapted with the permission of Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers. We hope you'll continue with us on the rest of this limited series and musical adventure. Check the show notes to find out more about Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers.